1: Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I will be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening everybody, that's right George is a
0: hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking, will John Bercow's tenure as speaker be viewed positively in history? What should happen next with Brexit? And finally, should all watches be banned from exams to prevent cheating? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and
1: these discussions will be open until the end of the song break for this each topic. But first, last week we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. What is your most uplifting moment of 2019 so far? And as always, we had... Loads of messages in, uh, uh, but we have picked a few out and our first one comes in from Jamie and they say it's been a pretty depressing year so far. So this has been really difficult. I mean, with Boris Johnson and Trump and Brexit and Brazil and mass shootings taking over the headlines, it's not been the most uplifting year, but... I was obsessed with Love Island over the summer and there was a moment when Amy had a go at Curtis for essentially cheating on her. And it felt like everybody who was watching the show at that moment, which were millions of people, came together on social media and supported her. It was a rare moment where reality TV was being used to have a really positive conversation and a real coming together moment. But, you know, when Love Island is one of the most uplifting moments of the year, that kind of says it all. Callum, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, it is a, a
0: bit, it has been a bit of a depressing year, to be, to be fair to Jamie. And I think that was one of the things we considered uh, in, in picking this topic, just to say that, yes, there is a load of things that are bad that happens, but there is also good things. Like, as Jamie says, I mean, I don't watch Love Island, but I can understand the sentiment of, you know, obviously cheating when it's in a relationship where you've committed to just be with that other person is wrong. Um, And evidently, it's good to see people coming together. Um, And uh, another thing I would say as well is that you don't really expect social media so much to be a, a force for good in many ways because it's often portrayed very negatively. So as well as it portraying reality TV in a positive light, maybe that does also portray social media in a positive light as well so that's that's a nice change of pace what do you think george
1: um yeah i think essentially it is uh quite worrying when we have a positive an uplifting moment is a, a tv show but i think at the same time um why why can it not be um as, as you quite rightly yeah. say, kind of social media is so often used as quite a belittling way to have a go at someone. And it is, it's a awful, it can be quite awful. And it's very rare that we actually see something positive come from the use of social media. And it's absolutely right that we are calling out cheaters and we're making sure that people are aware that cheating is wrong when you're in a relationship. Um, and why why not when you have something that is a a platform that is so big? It is essential that we use platforms like that to ensure that people are aware of certain situations. I mean, I did personally watch Love Island this um this year because uh because of my friends and they, they made me watch it so I did watch it. Um and it was actually it was actually quite good and I and I think the whole concept of it um during the summer, it did make me feel happier when I was watching it. Um, And because it it made me realise that my love life maybe wasn't actually that bad. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Moving on to our
0: next opinion, it's from Raquel, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, When Stormzy headlined Glastonbury, I think it was the first time a black solo artist has headlined the festival. It felt like we have made so much progress when it comes to race in this country. It was He was also such an amazing headliner. It was a moment I'll never forget watching on YouTube. Also, staying with music, Lil Nas X and Lizzo have both exploded out of nowhere this year. And they are both so positive and uplifting. Lizzo is so body positive and Lil Nas X has fought racism with his music too. I love them both. George, what do you think of that? Do you uh, listen to
1: many of those (coughs) artists? Um, I've I've got to put my hands up here um, and say that I don't listen to many of those artists. I mean, I I have listened to Stormzy, but um, just not on purpose. Uh, so it, it yeah, I, I think what essentially Ricole's saying here is is a really positive message, and absolutely, I think it rightly so. It should be an uplifting moment. Um, of their year because Stormzy absolutely um, the first time a black solo artist has has headlined at the festival. What a massive step that is for um, the black community. And I think we absolutely should be triumphing and championing the fact that we are um, as a country, we're doing that because I do believe as a country, we are, um, accepting to equality and everything like that and we should be um, championing in it um, and also I think it's so right that we see artists um, speaking out against um, negative thoughts about bodies and also racism as well and the fact that they're actually getting involved and make, trying to make a, a difference as well is so so uplifting and it is essential that, that people do that and I think what a fantastic uplifting moment um, for Recall
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think also um, having artists that not only um, speak out about racism, but have actually maybe experienced it themselves is really, really helpful. And it it is uplifting, in a sense. Um, George, just before we go on to the final opinion we've received, what's your most uplifting moment of 2019?
1: Well, uh, for me, it's got to be when I got elected um, as a councillor for my local district it was a incredible moment i it's a moment that i worked my backside off for um, and it's a moment that i never thought i would achieve at my age and it's something that i will never take for granted um and it's incredibly special moment i i was very emotional in the day it's something that um was incredibly uplifting and i'm incredibly proud of myself for um, and it's one of those achievements that i think i'll never forget um but what 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 about you callum well, mine was when I didn't get elected. That,
0: <laughs> it really lifted my spirits. So. out. When you came last place. <laughs> yeah, when I came last. Thank you for really rubbing salt <laughs> into the wounds, George. Um, it, it's um, I I was scratching my brain trying to think of kind of my most uplifting moment, as it were. It Doesn't say great things about my year. does it. But I can't. <laughs> I've struggled. Uh, but I think getting um accepted um into university to do a masters in journalism definitely, you know, it puts me on the right track um in, to, in terms of my career and I you know so I'm, I am proud of that but I'll be even more proud hopefully when I've graduated and and, and got a proper job as it's were.
1: Well, I uh, wish you the best of luck Callum. and of course you will be you will be the uh, Laura Cronsberg of your generation of wizard that. radio or wizard radio <laughs> <laughs> i don't think james Walt needs a political editor but we'll see we'll see um, yeah expansion <laughs> time so our final opinion comes in from Sammy and they say this might be a strange one but my most uplifting moment of 2019 is Avengers Endgame because in a world that is usually so divided it feels like pretty much everyone on the planet went to the cinema and saw this movie and spoke about it I just love those moments where it feels like everyone is coming together and no matter what your thoughts are on everything else happening in the world people watch Avengers for that reason it was the most uplifting moment of the year so so far for me well Callum what are your thoughts on that?
0: Hallelujah
1: something I've seen and I can
0: understand a little bit yeah. um no I, I um I do agree with Sammy I, I as George you said earlier on TV or films I think they are absolutely perfectly fine to say as as the most uplifting moment of 2019 and and I think that Avengers Endgame Um, obviously it's the culmination of a a massive multi-movie story as such Um, and also I think Avengers Endgame was a really watershed moment in terms of um, for the representation and the portrayal of female superheroes on screen because I think um, when you watch Avengers Endgame the fight scene where it's kind of just the the female superheroes it really does show what a badass a, a woman can be as such. And, and I know maybe that sounds a bit patronising for me to say that as a man. But, but effectively, I think that kind of positivity and the image that it's going to portray to young girls is amazing. It's something that probably our generation, George, didn't really have, I don't think. I don't think there was there was female superheroes, but they were quite often uh, the love interest of the, um, the male superhero, or they were just portrayed with really unrealistic expectations of 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 what a, a woman should look like and obviously yes superheroes are uh, slightly unrealistic unre- but these feel much more grounded i think what do you do you think about uh sammy's opinion
1: yeah I, I think um avengers endgame was was a great film i i don't so much uh i wouldn't say it was my favorite film but I I do totally agree when we have moments in our lives where there's a an event or something like something similar going on where people can come together leave their kind of worldly views at the door and come in and just enjoy together a film I think it's so special Um, and to see that happen I think it, it is absolutely lovely you know you don't have to go in there and start debating Brexit or anything like that, because you're there to watch the film. I mean, you might start debating about... Um, who died and who shouldn't have died or whatever. But I think that's just yeah. a little bit of, um, trivial banter that goes on about the film. So, <laughs> so I think it's, it, it's great and, and absolutely what a great uplifting moment. I mean, personally for me, which I am surprised about, about, um, the opinions we've had in is that none of them essentially are uplifting moments of self achievement. And yeah. when we asked this question, I truly thought the, the, the biggest, um, output we would have from people is self-achievement and, and maybe that's because I'm self-indulged um but I I think it's so lovely to see that the people's uplifting moments of 2019 haven't been about themselves it's been about the impact of other people
0: yeah yeah no I, I do agree with that and I am slightly surprised we haven't had uh, well obviously we did have a few messages of, of personal achievement but obviously um I'm surprised that there wasn't anything more impactful. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not to downplay anyone's <laughs> opinion.
1: I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> I think we've just we've just lost all our listeners. Great. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you are still listening, everyone, uh, remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But it is now time for Catherine and I uh, to be going to our first song break. So we'll be back very soon.
0: Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. Time to move on to our second discussion of this evening and we're asking the question will John Bercow's tenure as Speaker be viewed positively in history? So John Bercow, the Speaker of the House of Commons, has this week announced that he will stand down from his role as Speaker at the end of the current term of Parliament. Simply put, the Speaker of the House of Commons presides over the House's debates determining which members may speak and ensuring order, is maintained in all debates. Burko's team as Speaker has courted plenty of controversy, with him often being outspoken in his views on particular subjects, which goes against the protocol of the Speaker showing no political bias. Burko has also had his personal life and expenses record questioned throughout his tenure, and recently has courted controversy for apparently showing bias, towards those MPs, arguing for a softer or no Brexit altogether. Although Burko has hit back at such accusations, insisting he is just ensuring Parliament has a say in the Brexit process, rather than solely leaving it to the government. George, now that we're coming towards the end of Burko's tenure, how do you think he'll be viewed in history?
1: Has he been well out of
0: ORDER? (laughs)
1: Oh, dear. If we hadn't lost our listeners from what you previously said, we definitely haven't <laughs> Um, I, <laughs> I, look, I can't deny that Burko is probably one of the most iconic political figures that there ever has been, um, with the way that he has divided the House and divided opinion of the nation. And he is someone that has been, um, you know, if you ask someone about who the Speaker of the House is, I'm sure they would be able to at least quote his his uh, way of shouting order and getting discipline within the house. But essentially, I think it depends what side of the argument or what, what person you ask, whether uh, John Burko's tenure as speaker can be viewed as positively, because if you are a Ramona, I believe that you would turn around and say, do you know what, he's been very fair because he's allowed backbencher MPs that want to support a second referendum or 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 to get rid of Brexit altogether. He supported them really well. But if you ask a Brexiteer, I think they would turn around and say he's been a little bit too fair on the backbencher MPs that want to uh, stop Brexit, which I think are both very, very fair arguments. I personally think that... He has elevated the position of speaker to far more than it actually should be. I mean, it's as if he wants to be seen in the same light as the speaker in America, who essentially um, is the third line to the presidency, which he is not in this country. He is supposed to be um, unbiased about anything and literally just keep order in the House. And also, we can never ignore the fact of the bullying claims that went against Burko, that he is always strongly denied. But from what i've seen there has been quite strong evidence um to to speak that they are true i mean especially some of the ways that he's spoken to um the previous leader of the house andrew ledsom i think i think it uh, just speaks for itself but also if if anyone saw um john burko on uh the tv on monday evening the way that he talked to some ministers and mp's was absolutely appalling um and and i think that he he will be missed in the chair but essentially, I do believe it will be very good that he is going. Um, and I hope that his successor will be someone that will be a lot fairer. Um, but overall, I do not believe that he will be viewed as a positive impact on Parliament. But, Mr. Gurr, what are your beliefs? Yeah,
0: I think you're dead right to flag up the fact that, depending on who you ask, we'll almost will va- massively affect how you view Berto. And and I would say uh, that I think both um, sides of the argument, really, the left-wing Ramonas as such, or some of them are quite right-wing as well, but the more inclined to be left-wing Ramonas from Labour and Lib Dems um, and obviously the Conservative rebels, but then also the the, the government and the more brexit side of things. I think both sides are... Wrong in many senses, um, so I, I think I've not it's not sat very comfortably with me the way in which um, the bullying allegations have been kind of swept under the rug by um, the Ramon side of the argument. Um, you know, I, I mean, if we look at um, Dame Laura Cox's inquiry into bullying and harassment in Parliament in 2018. That um, that inquiry did accuse Berko of carrying out bullying himself, um, but it was blocked by the Common Standards Committee. But also, we've we've had allegations that have come forward in the media. So, um, two of um, Berko's former private secretaries have said that he shouted, swore, or attempted to physically intimidate them. Um, so, so. I mean, yes, there, there should be a, a proper investigation to determine whether these allegations are correct. Um, but the fact they've just been completely swept under the rug is, is not a good look. Uh, and it does tarnish uh, um time as Speaker. But on the other side of things, I, I would say that the, the perceived Brexit bias that Burko has, I don't think is necessarily always completely fair. Because I think if you consider the fact that, um, yes, everyone now thinks he's a closet Remainer as such, and he's really trying to make it favourable to those that want to remain. I think if we consider the fact that actually in 2013, he allowed an extra amendment to the Queen's um, speech, which basically allowed Tory Brexiteers to express dissatisfaction with the fact there was no promise of an EU referendum in that speech. Uh, And this... Kind of helped back David Cameron more into a corner of calling for a referendum on um, on our membership of the European Union. So I think mean, if you consider that, you can see that evidently he's not necessarily always helping out the Remain side of things. And I think what that ultimately says is that what Burko was trying to do at all times, rightly or wrongly, was strengthened the power of the House of Commons and, and Parliament by extension against the power of the executive. And I think that um, when you consider that against a backdrop of Tony Blair being in power before Burko became Speaker and then Gordon Brown had been in for about a year when Burko first became Speaker, but if you consider the fact Blair had been centralising a lot of the power towards the executive then, then... Um, it actually kind of stacks up a bit why Burko's done this and why he's so keen on strengthening the power of the House of Commons. And if you'd have maybe asked in 2009, when when he first became Speaker, he asked Commons clerks to find a way to um, expand the power of the House of Commons against the Executive, um, you might well have found that um, a lot of Conservatives were quite favourable of Burko then Uh, And I think it depends whether or not you're in the government or whether you're just an ordinary opposition uh, member of parliament, who's more sees themselves in the House of Commons, I think, will basically affect how you see John Burko's tenure. And I think based upon that, my overall opinion is that John Burko's tenure will be viewed as positively because I think it's, of paramount importance to have a really strong House of Commons that has a real say in the running of this country. Uh, I think it just makes things much better, and if you look uh, across the continent, you'll see that they have much more of this style of government, whereas we're still, partly because of our voting system, we still have a very much dominated by the executive style of government, and that's probably why he's ruffled feathers, because he's tried modernising it that that little bit.
1: Mm. Do Do you think then it is uh, wrong that it is looking very likely that John Burko won't will we become the first speaker in I think over 200 years not to get a peerage or uh, be knighted. Um, do you, Do you think that's wrong or do you think that's right?
0: Um, I I think you.
1: I mean, I don't particularly
0: believe in peerages and all all of these. At any point. yeah as such. Um, but I, I think you have to accept the fact that A, these bullying allegations still hang over Berto, uh, and B, he has been a hugely controversial figure, and, and of course he's not been popular um, with the government, and, and things like this, so I don't think it would be the time right now to, to knight him, or give him a peerage, as such, mm. but I, I wouldn't rule it out completely, because I think, for all his faults, and I do think he has got many faults Berto. <sighs> I, th- I think he has always had a sense of equality at the heart of what he's done. So he helped introduce a Commons crash, um, and also was part of the decision to allow parents to enter the voting lobbies carrying small children, uh, and also proxy voting for pregnant MPs. And and so you can see that he is a he has always had a a, a spirit of wanting to promote more equality, but also he's had a spirit, as I said, of of wanting to strengthen the power of parliament itself and so i think for all his faults he he did always have good in his heart as such but i do think that is true of most uh i was gonna say mps but i suppose he is technically an mp as well still
1: as well yeah i mean do you do you uh do you think that he'll be mostly missed because of his uh, charisma in the house I mean I, I think that is something that I will absolutely miss is actually seeing him in the speaker's chair shouting order and, and his utter wit that he brings to the chair as well I mean you know he—there there is no denying of the how clever he is and, and the ability that he has within the house um, to keep order whether you agree with the way he goes around it or not they, I don't think there will ever be a speaker like him again
0: yeah no I I do agree with that. I think he will be missed for that because it's quite a dull job, really, being speaker. It's not exactly the most glamorous thing. But as you say, George, a lot of people know who John Burko is because of the fact that he carries the role with a certain gravitas a lot of the mm. time. And, and I mm. think um, it almost, the way I compare John Burko is, of or, or him not being speaker, it's like having come dine with me without the the presenter of Can't Dime With Me, who obviously he just adds another layer to it. It's not that interesting the TV show as such, really, but the, the commentary makes it much better. And I think Burko makes Parliament more exciting as well. Like,
1: it's like when uh, the Bake Off lost Mary Berry.
0: Well, there's, yeah, something, something like that. Maybe <laughs> the, the two hosts, I was thinking more, but yes. Yeah, sure. Oh, Mel and Sue. Yes, Mel and Sue, that's it, that's it. Uh, right then, uh, we've reached the time for our second summit of this evening, but remember to vote on this poll. Will John Berkeley's tenure as Speaker be viewed positively in history? You can do that with a radio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we ask a question Will John Burko's tenure as speaker be viewed positively in history? And to find out the results of that poll, head over to our Twitter page that's at WISP Radio.
1: Right. OK, so now we should move on to our third discussion this evening. And, and if anyone knows, Callum and myself, this is probably the one that you are most looking forward to. So <laughs> we're asking the question, what should happen next with Brexit? Oh, that lovely word. Um, so once again, we seem to be in a mess. If sorting out <laughs> Brexit was like driving a car, then we would be completely lost, not knowing which direction will lead us to the lovely town of Brexit. Parliament has now put itself into a position once again where the country doesn't know whether we are staying or going. You could argue that there are many different ways to solve the issue of Brexit and we want to know how you would solve Brexit from the following options. Revoke Article 50, a referendum on the terms, adopt Theresa May's deal, adopt a a Norway style deal or a no deal Brexit. But of course, before we ask you lovely listeners, we have to ask my Brexit loving friend, Callum Gurr. So, Callum, out of those options, not that it's obvious at all, but out of those options, which one would you choose?
0: Oh, it's so difficult for me to decide. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I do think uh, genuinely that out of those options that we've laid there, there's only really two options that make any kind of sense that would actually have a chance of breaking this Brexit deadlock. And I think the first one is adopting May's deal. Um, you know, uh, it, it had its faults for sure, and I'm sure I think that might be the argument you make for adopting May's deal, George, Um so, so I'll leave the kind of arguments about <laughs> about that to later but there is a, a case for the fact that if it was put forward and Boris Johnson got behind adopting May's deal then that might well convince the uh, ERG Conservatives to, to back it, uh, probably a lot of the rebel MPs would end up backing it and it might just pass this time to be fair uh, I think there is a a small chance it could pass this time with with the backing of boris johnson so so i think that is certainly one way out um i think the other way out might well end up with the same outcome but would be a referendum on the terms just to kind of uh, talk about the revoking article 50 option which the liberal democrats um have just said well they're going to vote on it at conference but that's going to kind of change to be their policy of if they win a general election, they will revoke Article Fifty straight up if they get a majority in the House, which obviously, you know, pigs will fly sooner. Um, but if if it did happen, that would be their policy. I mean, evidently, I think if they if they were to to win a majority in the House, you could make a case that could revoke Article Fifty, uh, and I think I, I think they'd be right to because probably that would mean they've got about. of the vote or something just because of the way that our voting system works it's not really built in favour of uh, the Liberal Democrats so they would have to get quite a high percentage but even so they still wouldn't have 50% of the vote so it does it does blur the line slightly and also as we know general elections are for on more than just Brexit although I do think if we have one it will be a big part of it evidently but I think referendum on the terms would be the best way out and it's the one that I would like to see happen and it's what I think should happen next because I think it would solve the deadlock um, I, and I, I think really what this referendum should be is I, I don't really want to include no deal because I think no deal is incredibly reckless but I think unfortunately there is a substantial Minority, possibly majority, we're not quite sure at the moment, who do want a no-deal Brexit for whatever reason. I think they've probably been misled, but you know that that's their prerogative at the end of the day. So I think based upon that, we should have it uh, as a referendum of May's deal, um, no deal, or remain. Uh, and because of that, you'd have to have it as a preferential system. Um, so therefore, say if I was voting, I, I would vote, you know. Number one, remain. That's my preference of what I'd want to happen. My second preference is May's deal. Made and my third would be no deal, I guess. Um, and what you do then is you count up those votes. And if the first round of, of first preferences as such, one of the outcomes got over 50% of the vote, that would be what you'd do. Um, but if not, you go to second preferences and I think under those circumstances, going to second preferences, I would think that May's deal would end up winning them because you know I'm never going to put no deal over May's deal and I don't ever think that a Brexiteer is going to put remain over um, over uh, yeah, over May's deal if that makes sense. So So I think maybe we are destined for May's deal. But I think on a referendum on the terms, there is still that chance to end up remaining then uh, and give people that democratic right to to make that decision if that's what they want. But I think you can't do it without democracy as such. But George, what do you think should happen next with Brexit? I,
1: I didn't think I was going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I think there's no kind of... Uh person that won't be expecting me to argue for a deal um i believe it's the best approach we should have and and i um backed may's deal and and i still do back may's deal and as callum has rightly said there are problems around um, may's deal quite frankly the most obvious one is the backstop um I, I feel that there is a lot of areas around the backstop that is essentially so complicated that it's very hard to get rid of it. Um, I do believe there are maybe certain ways around it, but essentially it will still be a backstop just in different terms. Um, and I, and I think, I believe that Johnson hopefully will be able to get the terms on that. And I think it will be May's deal with a, Uh, a rewritten kind of backstop, as it were, a legal backstop in a way. Um, I think the Norway style deal has been always been on the uh, the front cards for a lot of Brexiteers. I mean, it was one of the, the main arguments from uh, Nigel Farage when he was campaigning to leave. You know, yeah. why don't we come out on no- Norway-style deal and yada yada. Um, but essentially, there's a lot of plot holes with the Norway-style deal, especially as we are an island um, and especially as if you actually look at the uh, contributions that Norway um, have with the EU, it wouldn't be that beneficial. And it For me, it lacks behind May's deal. I made last week a quite a clear statement about no deal and how I feel about it. I don't believe we should be going for it. Um, However, I as I said last week, if if it's clear that we have gone for a deal, the deal was voted down and it's our last resort, then I will back it. But if it's the only option that the government is putting forward, then I won't back it. Um, But I I think May's deal is the most likely thing to happen as well. and But at the same time, I feel no deal was also not just a threat to the EU, but a threat to fellow MPs to say, look, if you don't vote for this deal, then you are essentially creating no deal as well. So it was kind of putting them into a corner, which, you know, you can argue is right or wrong. Revoke Article 50. I It would be incredibly furious if if uh, we chose that option. I think it's a disastrous option. We'll be going against democracy. We'll be going against so many people of this country and it would be disastrous for parliament. I mean, if people have lost respect for parliament now, just imagine what would happen if we revoked Article 50. Um, The referendum on the terms. Yeah, absolutely. There is an argument for it. I can respect that argument. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with it, though. Um, I will always stand on the position that we had a referendum. We should um, keep that referendum and and op- oblige by it. But at the same time, I'm very open to hear from Callum that he does agree to have a Mays deal and no deal on the paper, along with Remain. And I think Callum's approach of the referendum is actually a very reasonable approach. And I hope that he will be encouraging his fellow Lib Dem members to um, approach that subject to put pressure on their MPs to for that referendum to happen. And if Labour could have that as well, then essentially, I think in a weird way, I would be comfortable with having a second referendum if we could guarantee the rules that that Callum has just said. Um, (laughs) So what I'm kind of saying here is Callum. I think you should not go to university and I think you should become a political advisor for number 10. Number 10?
0: Yeah. I thought you were going to say for Joe Swinson so I was going to say, Joe, give me a call any time. Oh, no. <laughs> that sounded a bit weird, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it just, just to briefly talk about that the referendum on terms outlined as I, as I said it under yeah. that system, under a preferential system how do you think the country would vote?
1: I, th- I think you've you've outlined it um, very rightly. I don't believe there will be a majority for Remain uh, with the fact that re- um, Deal and No Deal will be on the table. I think what we would see is we would see Remain and May's Deal go forward. I don't think No Deal would be on the list because I don't think there's enough of the population that would vote for it. And then essentially... Do you think? No, I, I genuinely don't. I think there is the there is enough people now that just want Brexit to happen. And I think people realise that it would be just be easier for us to negotiate a deal and it'd be better for us to negotiate a deal. Um, And I think that's why remain. And uh, no matter what into the second phase, I think remain will be on the ballot paper, whether it's no deal or a deal. um, I think remain will be there because there is enough people um, that will boost the percentage of that up. Um, But essentially I do believe that it will be a deal versus remain. Um, and I'm sad to say, I think maybe potentially there's the no-deal Brexiteers wouldn't want to vote for a deal, um, and I think Remain would win.
0: Okay. So what, you think that on their ballot paper they'll just put no deal, and then, so, so then obviously if it goes to second preferences, they wouldn't have a chance as such? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean... I could potentially see that, but I think we've seen hints from Boris Johnson and from maybe not as far as Rees Mogg, but from from people like that that they are starting to accept the reality of that a a kind of Brexit is better than them not getting Brexit
1: at all. Yeah, no, I and I totally agree with that. Uh, that mindset I really really do but everyone let's put this question over to you so remember to vote on the question what should happen next with Brexit and the options are revoke article 50 a referendum on the terms adopt May's deal adopt a Norway style deal or no deal at all and you could do that um, on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash system and we'll be back before you know it Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, what should happen next with Brexit? And to find out the results of that question, please go to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right, and time to
0: move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, should all watches be banned from exams to prevent cheating? So all watches should be banned from exam halls to discourage cheating, says an inquiry into the extent of malpractice in exams taken by pupils across the UK. Smart watches connected to the internet are already banned from use by students taking public exams. but the review which was commissioned by the independent Commission on Examination malpractice, says it is becoming difficult to distinguish between high-tech and traditional watches. The reviews chairman, Sir John Dunford, Dunford sorry has now called for a blanket ban on watches to reduce the risk of malpractice going undetected. George, do you agree with the review's calls for a ban on watches to prevent cheating?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I first had to say when you read out that quote, I thought that was just your argument. Then you were just going to stop altogether um, <laughs> saying that you agree it should be banned. Um, I don't I don't think that we should ban watches because personally for me, I. um I used to take a watch into the exam hall, an analog watch. Um, I think that's right. Is that right? Or a clockwork watch, whatever they're called. Analog is uh, right, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it used to, I used to put it on my desk and it was easier for me to quickly glance across at that than stare up at the ceiling um, at, at the watch or the clock on the wall. And if I couldn't see it, then I had no idea how long I had left and it put me off and whatever. So I, I don't, see the reasoning behind getting rid of watches i think personally yes i know they're quite hard to um, uh, tell the difference between smart watches and, and ordinary watches but at the same time if you're going through a um, an example with invigilators they will clearly be able to see whether it's got a digital face on it that has other systems on it or just a a basic hands and and a second hand that's going around a a clock face um i think i mean the watch i'm wearing literally right now and i'm looking at it right now there is no way you could be able to sit there and say that's a smart watch because it's so obviously not um so and i I think things like that is absolutely fine um and we i think we should be encouraging people to to take their watches in that are normal watches because we've got to have a level of trust with our students as well we can't just be like right we're stripping you of everything because we don't trust that you're not going to cheat um you know these people are growing are growing up young adults and they need to learn the level of trust and everything and also they need to learn the consequences that if they do take a smartwatch watch in that they will fail that exam so yes i know it's getting harder to tell the difference but at the same time i think we should not ban all watches what do you think Adam?
0: But I think it's interesting because um, the the commission themselves have said that the level of malpractice is is pretty low. Um, so it suggests, as as you say, George, that maybe there should be that element of trust there because you know the vast majority of, of students aren't trying to cheat uh, and things like that. Um, I'm edging more towards if they w- if this is what they say will stop cheating then, yes, that's fine to ban them from from exams. Um, But I do take the argument from you, George, that a watch is a useful thing to have in an exam just because, yeah, you can just look at the time. You don't have to look up um, at the big clock and and things like that. Um, I I guess maybe because, I I mean, I I do take what you're saying, George, in in that, yes... um, you can really nowadays tell the difference between an analog watch and a, and a, a a digital one, which is a smart watch, as it, as it were. Um, and I guess based upon that, I, I suppose the way you could get around it maybe would be to say that you can only take analog watches in, which I know is effectively what they're saying at the moment. But obviously, you do have those digital ones where it's blurred because they're evidently not a smartwatch, but they're a digital face and there's that element of doubt there. Um, mm. So I suppose just ones with a really traditional um, face to a clock, maybe as a way around. But again, I can see in the future there being smartwatches created that effectively replicate that and yeah. try and look like that. Um so I I don't know I'm I'm always kind of more inclined to just go with what the the experts as it were are saying in this and and you know this commission is saying that we need to right now ban or watches I I don't think it's a, a massive infringement on a people's humans rights or or anything like that you know um, and and if it ensures the um, sanctity of the exams, then I think we should just almost let that happen, as it were. Yeah. Right then, uh, we've reached time for our final summary of this evening, but don't forget to vote on this poll should all watches be banned from exams to prevent cheating. You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk, for have to listen and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So, before we ask the question, should all watches be banned from exams to prevent cheating? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page that's at WizRadio. Right then, unfortunately, we've reached the time to end this evening show. So, thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cut and Gurr.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question if you could change one decision you've made in the past. What would it be? You can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizardradio. And remember, that question is, if you could change one decision you've made in the past, what would it be? And as always, we are very much looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I have been the watch-loving George Lawrence Cup. And I've been the taking your watches
0: calendar. Uh, Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Have a nice